Colleagues, welcome back to the office. We're going to get started with our presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I have a couple of brief announcements to share with you. First, if you're watching our course live, please note that we'll confirm your engagement through polling questions uh, that you can respond to. Polling questions will occur about every 12 to 20 minutes, and please keep an eye out for them because they might not be announced. If you're watching after the fact, it's a self-study course. You will confirm your participation and engagement with our course today through a brief quiz that you'll complete on cpetoday.com after watching or listening to our presentation today. Your completion certificate will be sent to you by email. As long as you respond to 75% of the polling questions, if you're watching live, you will receive full credit for today's course. If you're watching after the fact as a self-study course, please note your certificate will be available to you immediately after passing the course quiz. We'd love to know what you think of our content and of our presentation today. If you wouldn't mind completing our course evaluation to provide your thoughts and feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your feedback is used to help produce better and more insightful courses for you to consume in the future. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. If you're watching live, feel free to use the chat dialog box to ask your questions to the presenter. And if you're watching after the fact, you can send us an email at support at cpetoday.com and we'll follow up with you as quickly as we possibly can. As a reminder, the CPE Today podcast is available as a joint effort between CPE Today and K2. Twice a week, we're bringing you the latest and greatest in technology, accounting, business knowledge, and more. You can watch for free on cpetoday.com, YouTube, or Facebook. If you can't make the live presentation, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and listen to the show on your own time. All of our podcasts are eligible for CPE credit. After watching or listening, you just head over to cpetoday.com. You complete a short five-question quiz, and you'll earn a credit for watching or listening. Now, if you've never tried one of our classes before, how about you try one on us risk-free? You can use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make any podcast course of your choosing 100% free. We're going to get started here with our presentation. And again, thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Welcome, everybody. This is Excel Essentials for Staff Accountants. My name is Steve Yoss. Again, it is a pleasure being with you in our class. Uh, today's class is going to be looking at everything I think you need to know as a staff accountant to be effective and uh, useful and productive inside of your organization. Uh, Excel is one of those things. It is the Swiss Army knife of business. Uh, it's one of my favorite metaphors to use when discussing this application because it really can be and serve so many different incredible purposes for your organization. Everything from producing financial statements and doing detailed analysis to just being something thing for scratch work and figuring out and just doing a quick and dirty, uh, you know, um, analysis to figure out the, you know, profitability or figuring out what, uh, inventory, you know, you should purchase or carry in the coming year and more. And it's a tool that many of us have already have some experience and familiarity with, but rarely are we specifically trained on how to use this tool effectively. Uh, and so we kind of, you know, just kind of learn on the job and most of us pick up things from other people. Um, but, we don't ever kind of learn what those essentials might be, you know, and what, what we could essentially do uh, inside of this application at a ground level to really kind of be effective and powerful in this application. And what this uh, class is aimed at is really kind of aimed at providing that deep level of foundational skill within the context of using Excel uh, to give you the, uh, the, um, 
the insight and the uh, the skills necessary to not only just be able to use this application, but to really use it effectively. Frankly, I want to teach formulas in the context of tables. Um, tables, if you're not familiar with them, they are a container for information inside of your workbook. And now you might look at an Excel workbook and you say, Steve, well, there are you know rows and columns. I really feel like that's a table. And you're correct. There are rows and columns, but a table is a purposeful thing that you add to an Excel workbook. And they make virtually every operation inside of Excel better, more efficient, faster, and easier to use. Um, I use them constantly. They're probably the thing I do the most inside of Excel. Uh, they auto replicate formulas. They make styling efficient. They are wonderful for precursor as a precursor functionality for things like pivot tables or charts, graphs, and more. And in the context of formula writing, the structured references that tables provide make it a no brainer to use. And so we'll probably talk about tables first and then get into some formula fundamentals that I think are useful for you to know, uh, including alternatives to formulas too. Sometimes uh, formulas might not be the best option. And so I'll kind of show you some of the other things that you could do that can achieve the same effect as a formula, but uh, might be a little bit different with respect to how you go about and doing it. Okay. Now, from there, we're also going to talk about some accounting-centric formulas. Uh, in this particular ch uh, chapter, we'll talk about, for example, the difference between subtotal and sum, uh, doing conditional comparison using uh, some ifs, super useful tool uh, where you can you know, sum or average or find the min or max based off of multiple criteria. We'll talk a little bit about text to columns. Um, and I'm also going to, in this chapter four, uh, introduce a tool that's not included in your book here, but I think is really useful for you to know called Power Query. Uh, Power Query, if you've never heard of it before, is a tool that allows you to create repeatable, refreshable reports. Uh, there's a mantra that I personally live by with Excel, write once, refresh many. If it's a workbook that I'm going to do month in, month out, I really want to make it so that I can make this thing as easily updatable as we can. And uh, Power Query is that tool that allows it. It's a ETL tool, extract, transform, and load, allowing us to extract and transform data from virtually anywhere uh, that is structured, whether it be another Excel workbook, a database, uh, the web, uh, API from an application, and more. Alrighty, we'll talk about some different lookup formulas, VLOOKUP, HLOOKUP, uh, INDEX AND MATCH as well. Alrighty, now before we get going, I got a couple of housekeeping announcements and then we are going to go ahead and get started here. Again, my name is Steve Yoss. I am an instructor and presenter with K2. I've been a, an instructor with K2 now for many years. Uh, many of you I've had in classes before and if you're a returning uh, student, thank you so much for coming. It's always a pleasure to have uh, you in our classes. And if you're a new student, Thank you. I appreciate you coming to check me out and coming to check out uh, what I have to teach here. Uh, in my life, my experience is split right down the middle. Half my life is spent writing and teaching and thinking about technology. Uh, I write anywhere from about 20 to 50 courses per year uh, on Excel, Power BI, databases, security, fraud, accounting, audit, you name it. And the other half of my life is spent doing software development in my business, Devmatics. Uh, my business, we build all different types of applications with our American-based uh, uh, engineering team. We build mobile apps. We build integrations between different tools. We build custom databases and more. If anybody has any questions on tech, by all means, please consider me a resource. You can always reach out, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or at least at the very, mo very minimum, try to point you in the right direction. 
All right, folks, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. And the rest of our class today will be entirely inside of Excel. So we're going to go ahead and now take a look at some formula options with respect to our workbooks, as well as some non-formula options that we might want to consider looking at as well. So we discussed tables and how useful and effective that they are. Let's talk about formulas now and how they can be used in conjunction with Excel, as well as alternatives um, to formulas as well. Now, first thing I want to show you actually is not a formula thing, but rather a uh, tool that you can use to do statistical analysis inside of your workbook. Okay, now stats are very helpful and useful with respect to kind of understanding you know, populations of data to do things like regression analysis, descriptive statistics, ANOVA testing, and more. And there are lots of really kind of specialized statistic applications that are out there, like SPSS, SAS, ArcGIS, and others. But nine times out of 10, you could actually do almost all of your statistical testing directly inside of Excel if you know where to look. And in fact, there's a tool specifically designed to support statistical testing. It's called the Stats Tool Pack. Now, the Stats Toolpack should be located over here under the Data tab on the far right-hand side. And if you're seeing it missing like we do here, it just needs to be something that is enabled. What we're going to do is we're going to come over here to our File menu. And from our File menu, we're going to drop down here to our Options. And from Options, we're going to go ahead and select our Add-ins. And from Add-ins, we are going to enable the Analysis Toolpack. Okay, now these are Excel add-ins. You'll see over here under Manage Excel add-ins, that's the default option. We're gonna go ahead and select that and click Go. And you can see that there are multiple different uh, tools that are available to you. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and select the Analysis Tool Pack and the Analysis Tool Pack VBA. Um, Honestly, I've never used the currency Euro conversion tools. I feel like that's a legacy thing carried over from when the Euro was first introduced. Um, and then there's also another option down here called Solver. And I won't demonstrate Solver, but I will mention what it is because it's a really useful tool. It's a tool for doing uh, limits inside of Excel and so uh, or finding specified values inside of Excel. Really useful tool if you wanted to find and build a model to find like the upper amount of revenue you could generate or the least amount of cost you could pay. Uh, or if you had a mix of products, product A, B, and C, and you wanted to figure out like what mix to sell to maximize your revenue potential or find your break-even analysis. You can use Solver, you build a model to support whatever type of analysis and it'll run simulations to ultimately find the answer you're looking for. I use it regularly for doing tax planning and I also have used it for example to determine what products to market sell or what to kind of focus efforts on. Really useful tool. For our purposes here though, we're gonna go ahead and use this analysis tool pack and we're gonna go ahead and flip both those on. And in doing so, you'll see over here under the data ribbon, far right hand side you now have a new work group called analysis and we can go ahead and we can use this as a to do statistical analysis on stuff okay now the intention of this is to kind of just show you that you don't, you don't always have to use formulas formulas are useful and great but you know there's a good chance you could also transpose numbers or you know accidentally cause uh, other types of clerical mistakes that could cause your formulas uh, to be invalid. And so sometimes using stuff other than formulas can be quite useful. Okay. Now, let me just show you a quick one here. This is going to be using what's called a histogram, which is an alternative to a uh, data plot point that you would use as a chart. So it's an option. Instead of using this little guy right here, we're going to use the statistical analysis, mostly just to make you aware that this uh, particular tool exists. 
okay so over here under our data ribbon we're going to go ahead and select our data analysis far right and uh, i'll just briefly show you um the histogram but let me just mention all your major types of statistical analysis you choose to use are going to be supported here including things like descriptive statistics moving average you can do random number generation and regression testing regression testing is super interesting and useful and uh, it's something that not enough people know that's here or know how to use it um, regression testing is a great way to justify um investment to justify budget allocation and more and what regression testing does if you've never done it before it it determines what we call um fit like it tells you basically how tightly two numbers are correlated with each other and how measured to fit they could potentially be um and so it can help you understand the relationship between different numbers in your in your books. I, my go-to example for regression testing is to understand, for example, uh, advertising and to understand uh, revenue. Let me just ask a broad question here. You can think about it. Feel free to chat me an answer. If you spend more money on advertising, what do you expect revenue to do in the business? Okay. What do you expect it to do? Well, generally I would expect it to go up, right? I spend more money on advertising. I want to know revenues going up. You know, and so what we can do with regression testing, which is super cool, is that we can actually do an export out of our financial package and look at advertising and look at revenue. And we can determine how correlated those two numbers are with each other and how tightly aligned, because ideally, if we spend more on advertising, we want revenue to go up. OK, with regression testing, you can get a sense of how correlated how correlated they are. And that can help you justify what your different revenue budgets for our sorry your advertising budgets might be if they were tightly correlated you know for example like they have a uh, um a coefficient of like let's say 0.9 you know that means that everything you do in advertising is affecting revenue and, and if you spent more on advertising you're going to see revenue go up and you can actually determine with regression testing how much you can expect how cool would it be to walk into a director's meeting and they ask you, for example, okay, well, if we spent X number of dollars on this, what would happen to the bottom line or what would happen to our revenue? Regression testing could be a big piece of this. And it could tell you, well, for every you know $15 we spend on uh, advertising, it yields, let's say, $150 in additional revenue. And that could really kind of help back into what your budgets uh, could be. You could do that for uh, manpower, like, you know, how many people do you need, manufacturer. I mean, there's so many different use cases, and it ultimately comes down to just using math and statistics. But this analysis tool pack has a number of stats features. When I was doing my graduate work, um, I use this a ton. I still use this a ton for doing statistical testing because I really like math and uh, this type of testing. I'm not going to say it's infallible, but it definitely gives you a fair number, of, a fair amount of ammunition uh, with respect to uh, kind of justifying your budgetary or expense numbers. And let's just say, for example, you saw low coefficient with respect to your advertising. Well, that would tell you that uh, if advertising isn't being affected uh, re revenue isn't being affected by advertising. Well, it just tells you whatever advertising you're doing is ineffective, you know, because if you spend a ton of money and you don't see advertising, if you don't see revenue move, well, obviously whatever you're doing isn't working. So it's a great way to kind of back up the numbers that you have. And that really just comes down to using the tool pack. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at our histogram section here. And with histogram, what we're going to do here is we're going to give it an input range and then a bin range. And for our input range, we're going to go ahead and point it uh, over here to our um, 
to our sample workbook. Now, let me back up and just tell you what we're doing here. So it maybe hopefully makes sense for you. How many of you have ever heard of Binford's Law or Binford's Analysis? Okay. Okay. Now, Binford's Law really kind of speaks, uh, speaks to... Uh, sorry, Benford's law really kind of speaks to um, it's a it's a tool that we can use to potentially detect uh, fraudulent actions. OK, uh, and really what Benford's law talks about is the natural order of numbers in a random natural sequence. OK, and what it speaks to is that if we were to analyze the first digit of numbers, we should see more digits starting with one than we see starting with nine. OK. In a, in a random population, you're not going to see an equal distribution of numbers. You're going to see more numbers starting with one, two, and three than you are seven, eight, and nine. Okay. And generally what you should see is kind of like this. It should start off high with one, two, and three, and there should be less of two than there are of one. There should be less of three than there are of two. And by the time you get to nine, it kind of drops down this way. And Benford's law is a really kind of useful tool to uh, do analysis because it kind of helps you find numbers that don't match natural sequence. And I'm not going to say if you've had a whole bunch of numbers starting with nine, that immediately indicates fraud, but it does give you maybe something you might want to look at a little bit further. And so what we have here on the on the left uh, is just a listing of our maybe our uh, check numbers and we're looking at the invoice amounts. If you're going to have fraud occur inside your organization, you have a higher likelihood of seeing it occur in accounts payable. Um, lots of people tend to focus on AR. AR is generally not where it's going to occur. It's going to occur in your payables, expense reimbursements, vendor fraud, check fraud, things of this nature. And so let's say we wanted to analyze these different amounts and just see if they fit Benford's law. And so we're using, using a very simple text function, left, and we're just grabbing the first number here. So a four, a five, a nine, an eight, and so on and so forth. And we want to analyze these into um, Benford's law. And we want to see the statistical distribution of these numbers. Okay, really simply, we'll come on over here to our data analysis. We're going to choose our histogram as our option here. And for our input range, we're going to go ahead and point it to cell C4. I'm going to hold down shift and, and uh, control here. That's going to highlight the whole range going down to C2195. And our bin range in this particular case is just going to be those numbers we have listed over here on the right. And we've just got a sample of, uh, we want it to analyze one through nine as our example here. All right, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, tell it to output into a new worksheet, and we're also going to tell it to output to a chart. We'll click OK, and here is your Benford's Law Analysis, and it actually created a little chart for you. How cool is that? And so we could see here, just to kind of finish our example here with respect to understanding Benford's Law, analyzing those numbers, we could see that there are more ones than there are of twos. There's more twos and threes, so on and so forth. However, Weirdly, we've got more eights and nines in here. Again, I'm not going to say that that would immediately indicate fraud, but it might be that we want to go zero in. And it could be that we have one invoice that we do 100 times that have, has a nine as the first leading digit, and that just happens to be what it is. My mortgage is $1,935. I pay it 12 times a year. That's just what that number is. So it doesn't necessarily indicate or have to indicate fraud, but it's a, it's a leading indicator that you could choose to use. So this is an example of using that statistical tool pack and it could do stuff like the chart library could do. Okay. Now from our book, if we're following our example here, the next thing we're supposed to do is take a look at our flash fill. And we already looked at flash fill a little bit, but, uh, and I showed you how you could split data apart. Let me show you one more example with respect to flash fill that I think is pretty useful. And that is going to be the concatenation. 
Okay, so flash fill, if you remember, this is the pattern recognition tool. This is the tool where you can give it an example of what you want and it can continue that pattern. Now I showed you previously how we can, for example, use flash fill to break apart stuff. So in this case, we're gonna break apart our address here and we can just basically give it one simple example and hit that flash fill and it will go ahead and continue uh, that example for us. Okay, we have to do this column by column. Unfortunately, we can't uh, we can't select a whole range of it and have it continue. But you should also know it can go the other way around too. So in this particular example here, we've got our names and our address, city, state, and zip. Let's say we wanted to bring them together. Okay, I'm going to show you two different methods here. Actually, three different methods. I'll show you the old school way and then two new school ways of doing it. Okay, the old school way, if you wanted to bring column A, B, C, and D together, would be to concatenate, and that would be to use that ampersand, okay? And that just appends the data one after the other and puts it all next to each other. Okay, the issue with this, as you can clearly see here, is that in this particular case, we got to also come in and we also have to manually put in our spaces, and good luck if you happen to have like an address one and an address two, and sometimes address two is in there and sometimes not, okay? This particular method, while it will work, is certainly not preferred. And there are some general, pretty big limitations with respect to this method. Now saying that, I use concatenation all the time. I just know for this specific example here, there are better ways of handling this, okay? So we got that option. We're gonna go ahead and clear that out. Okay, here are the next two options you might want to consider. Okay, you can do this through a formula. Super useful formula called text join. Okay, text join does what I just did there in concatenation, but the benefit of this is, is that uh, instead of having to manually put in my delimiters and spaces, I could specify that delimiter once, and I could specify an array of cells that I'd like it to work with. The other really nifty thing with this tool is that I can also tell it to ignore blank columns. So if we ended up having, as an example, a, a address two, like suite 101, apartment uh, B, floor three, you know, where we're sometimes having that cell and sometimes not, text joint's smart enough to say, hey, there's an empty cell here. Don't just absently include an extra delimiter. Uh, it can just go ahead and skip it, okay? So a couple of different arguments. You're going to have the delimiter, whether or not to include uh, text cells or empty cells, and then whatever array you'd like to specify. So really simply, we'll do equals text join. Okay, for our delimiter, we're going to do a comma, space, and then a... a uh, uh, we'll also use a double quote here to store that text. So anytime we're dealing with text inside of Excel, what we're going to make sure that we have a double quote storing that text value. So in this case, quote, comma, space, end quote. Next is going to be ignoring empty cells. We're going to go ahead and say, yes, ignore it. And then we're just going to go ahead and point it at a whole range of things, A1 to E1 here, and we'll splop it down. And in the case of our sweet 101, notice it conditionally handles that cell. Okay, so fabulous way to be able to join that stuff together. Okay, so that is new method number one. Here's the other new method. You can go ahead and you can consider using that flash fill. We can give it an example of what we'd like it to be. So we'll come on over here and type out Nancy Freehafer. Okay, we'll give it an example. One, two, three, Main Street. Okay, and then we're going to say Atlanta, Georgia. 30303 like that 
and we're just going to go ahead and hit flash fill and boom it figures it out for us now if it comes down here you notice it skipped suite 102 we can come on over here and give it another example suite 101 sorry not 102 okay and notice it picked it up in these other examples or it should have picked it up in these other examples okay uh, it should pick it up in these other examples, but uh, I'm not going to take time to debug why it's not. But the, the point of this is if we just basically give it another example here, even when it's incorrect, uh, it should. Apartment B. Yeah, there you go. It picked up over here for floor three. So it needed two examples to be able to work that out. Pretty nifty, if you ask me. So. That are your two methods. I'll point out Power Query, Power Query, Power Query, Power Query. could also do this for you as well. It can combine, it can split, it can parse, it can do everything. It's the bee's knees when it comes to Excel. All right, let's go ahead and move on here. Let's talk about auditing and verifying our formulas. Let me show you a couple of tricks and tips and things that you might want to know with respect to auditing your formulas. And so we're going to go ahead and take a look at tracing our precedent and descendant cells. Okay, and let's come on over here to our formula ribbon. And from our formula ribbon, we're really going to talk about this guy over here, this work group, formula auditing. Okay, now with the formula auditing, this is going to be where we can audit our formulas. There's some super useful stuff we should know how to do inside of here. So the first thing is you should know about this show formulas button. If we click this, it's going to flip the view of our uh, table here uh, in the view of our worksheet from being the output view to being the formula view. Okay. And uh, we could see here, for example, that uh, we could see all these specific formulas. Sometimes we just want to make sure that it's consistent throughout the worksheet. And I've always found that flipping this to show formulas is probably the best way of seeing that. Okay. So just know that you can go ahead and you could flip that particular view and just see that particular item there. Now, the next thing that we can also do is we could start to trace precedent cells and descendant cells. Uh, so, for example, if I wanted to see where the precedent cells for this scheduled payment option is, we come on over here, we choose this option that says tra uh, trace precedents, and it'll actually show us, in this case, it's going out to another table. Let's take a look at another example. Oops, let's close this worksheet, actually. Okay, if we get these arrows, we can go ahead and remove arrows. Okay, if we don't want that, let's grab our total interest here. and Let's check our precedent cells. Same thing. We could see that it is ultimately going out to a separate table. Let's grab another one and let's go ahead and see our descendant cells. Let's try this one, our dependents. Okay, hold on. Of course, the thing I needed to do. Let's see this one. Trace precedence. Okay. But over here, we can see this cumulative interest. This is basically pulling this interest calculation in. Uh, we can go ahead and come down maybe a little bit further. Let's go ahead and trace our precedent cells. We can see here it's actually pulling this whole column of data together. Okay. So this is a way of kind of tracing throughout the workbook itself uh, with respect to where certain numbers are calculated and how they are being determined. Okay. Now, beyond this, you can also use this as a way of, of kind of tracing uh, how that cell is being used elsewhere. So if I check the dependent cells, let me just grab something else in here. Let's try this one. Of course, nothing I need is this dependent. Uh, let's come over here. Let's see.
I don't see how there's not dependent cells on here. Let's try this one. Trace dependent. Okay, well, here's an example. Okay, so I could see that the ending balance on this particular column is also the beginning balance over here. And so this opening balance is depending on the closing balance elsewhere. Okay, so this is a great way that you can use to kind of evaluate and track your um, dependence and your, um, you know, you could track basically the different uh, uh, dependence here in terms of uh, where certain cells are calculated and what's what they are needing to provide their own calculation and as well as how that cell is calculating elsewhere. Um, yeah, there you go. All right, let me show you another thing that you can do here, and this is going to be in your air checking. Okay. Here's probably a pretty good example. This is kind of what I was hoping to show you. This particular number, our loan amount, we can see how often that's being used. You can see actually the precedenting uh, cell, it's, it's predicated everywhere. So that's kind of what I was hoping to show you. All right, let me show you a little bit with respect to your error checking. Okay, first things first, you should know how Excel handles error and how it does calculations. There's a little calculation tree and the way it does its calculations, what's an error, what's not an error, and so on and so forth. And there's actually some pretty specific rules that you can choose to implement on the error checking inside of the application. Come on over here to the file menu. From the file menu, drop down here to options. And from options, go ahead and select the formulas tab. And then down here under your error checking rules, this is going to be where all the different things that can be uh, referenced when checking to seeing if an error occurs. So you could check, for example, uh, you know, has it inconsistent with its dates? Is it containing data that cannot be refreshed? Does it have misleading data formats? Uh, is it referring to empty cells? Is it referring to unlocked cells? So on and so forth. And so these are the different value, different ways that you can check to see if an error is generated. Uh, it's important to remember, like certain error messages, like pound NA, doesn't necessarily re strictly refer to a error in the sense that that's not necessarily a mistake. Pound NA, which is most often demonstrated in lookup formulas, might just clearly say like, hey, you're asking me to look up something. And I don't know what you're wanting me to look up here. You know, this data isn't in this particular worksheet. And so instead of returning, you know, it has to return something, it returns that pound NA. And so you can actually uh, fine tune how these different errors occur, but not every single thing that you see inside of the application, like it is an error code, actually is an error itself. These are errors though, you know, and I could tell Excel to specifically check for these types of messages. Now there's also a pretty cool and useful tool called formula auditing. Okay. And formula auditing is really helpful when you want to understand how a, uh, a formula works and how it arrives to certain operations uh, in, in terms of uh, how it is calculating. Okay. So over here, we've got a uh, an if formula as an example, and we've also got this set up so that it is ultimately using, um, as you could see here, defined names. So we've got, you know, some cells here that are value uh, the value entered, the interest rate, the number of payments per year, so on and so forth. And maybe I want to see how this cell is actually calculating itself. OK, 
Okay, one of the cool things that we can do is that we can actually evaluate this cell and then we can also air check this cell. So if I click this little air check here, okay, what we can do with this is that we can actually understand and start to uh, determine how this cell is arriving at any potential issues that might pop up. And so it gives us the option, for example, to uh, lock the particular cell. We can get help on if there's an error message that's occurring. We can edit in the formula bar uh, as well. You know, so we can go over here, for example, and lock this particular cell. Okay, and we can actually walk through if there happens to be an error. And we could do so by coming over here to evaluate formula. Okay, and from here, if you lock that cell, then you come into this, this is going to be where you can actually evaluate and you could see the specific stuff uh, that might be causing the problems. So you can actually walk through the calculations as they are being uh, determined. Okay, so both the air checking is useful. If you get an air message, you can lock the cell and then kind of drill into that cell and then edit that. And it'll tell you what part of the formula is causing that particular air. Let me see if I can get this to air out as an example. Okay, let me see if I can get this to air. Okay. Okay, so we can come over here to the show calculation steps. And that show calculation steps in this evaluate formula for all intents and purposes are the same are the same thing. That's really kind of what I was trying to explain here. And what this will show you is it'll show you a step-by-step -step here of like why that formula is not working the way you think it worked or how it arrived to a particular number. In this particular case, we're getting this pound value because guess what? Our interest rate is set to an alpha character and obviously it can't be. It has to be set to a specified interest rate. But if you're not sure and you're, you know, 30 worksheets into a workbook and you can't figure out why it's erring the way it is, you know, this evaluate, you click on wherever you're having that error, either click the error checking or more often I click this evaluate uh, formula this is going to allow you to be able to step in. And we can see here, as we hit that evaluate option, the first value there, the first thing it's looking for, in this case, it's expecting that that data be numeric. And we can see that it's popping up as being numeric. Why? Because, let's go ahead and keep going in here. Okay, we could see here that this is where this is airing out. And we can see here in this particular case, it's on the interest rate. Okay, the interest rate's popping up red. It's referring to cell D6, and that is where that issue is occurring. And we can zero in our effort to debug that one specific cell. Okay, and so you could step in on this piece by piece and execute it piece by piece. Excel will actually show you the calculation that it goes through. Okay, so first it looks here, then it goes to here, and in this particular case, it airs out. Let's go ahead and change that number back to what it should be, and let's come on over here to our, our uh, scheduled payments, and let's go ahead and evaluate this formula so you can see this step in bit by bit. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and hit stepped in here. We can see that the first part is the loan amount, okay? Hold on. Why are you being? Okay. Okay. So we can come on over here. We can see here's our interest rate. We can evaluate that and we can grab each of these. And every time we hit evaluate, what it's ultimately doing here is it's pulling the actual data that is presented. So ultimately here is what the, um, here's ultimately the expression that it's evaluating. Okay. So we could see here that it's evaluating this, and then this is ultimately how it arrives at that particular answer. But we could see that calculation step by step in terms of how it arrives to that particular number. Okay.
And so this is a tool that I use if I happen to have an error or I've got a big, nasty, uh, complicated formula, I'll go ahead and I'll put this in um, the evaluate error in the error checking mode uh, to be able to determine where that error is occurring and what part of my formula is not working the way I want. Okay. And it'll actually show you how to arrive to that specific, how it arrived to that specific number. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move on to chapter four, accounting centric functions and formulas inside of Excel. Okay, chapter four here. So in chapter four, we're gonna talk about some accounting centric functions, stuff I think as financial professionals you're gonna to need to know on a regular basis and the specific formulas that I'm using quite regularly with respect to producing financial statements and reports and any other things I might need. Okay, and so with respect to this, we are going to want to have a general sense here of uh, some really basic functions and why we use those specific functions. And we're gonna start first with understanding subtotal and sum, okay? And I'm gonna show you why you should be using subtotal pretty much everywhere and whenever possible. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about another feature called text to columns, uh, which is a great way of parsing data that can be really helpful to manipulate data coming in from other workbooks. Uh, we'll also talk about some present value and interest rate calculations and payment calculations, including uh, net present value, uh, internal rate of return, payment calculators, and more. And we'll also talk about some different date-oriented functions that you might want to consider using as well. All right, so first, let's go ahead and talk about sum and subtotal, okay? Now, both of these are functions um, that can be used in a lot of ways interchangeably, but I'm going to encourage you to consider using the subtotal function whenever possible. And the big reason is, is that subtotal can do everything that sum can do and more, and it's also a really effective way beyond just adding things together in specific use cases, like creating running totals, or if you want to do something other than adding things together. You can do averages, you can do min, you can do max, you can do all sorts of fun and, and useful types of calculations, all from the same formula. Here's what I found. Okay, so over here, as an example, we've got kind of a part of a income statement, okay? Or a balance statement, as an example. Okay, and so it's pretty normal, for example, for you to create, you know, um, subtotals within your calculations, you know? So over here, we have cash, we have accounts receivable, we have inventory, we have total current assets, right? Okay, then we got another thing over here, we got fixed assets, right? Okay, now ultimately, if you keep going down here, you've got total assets, now, what a lot of people end up doing, you can either do this as a sum or you can do it as a plus-plus formula. And a plus-plus would be something like, uh, let me modify this a little bit real quick. 
Well, a plus plus would be where we would, for example, do an equal sign and then we would select the subtotals of these different things that we'd like them to be. So if we had a huge income statement here as an example or a balance sheet as an example, we can either total the raw data or we can total the subtotal data, but we can't total both data. You know, the reason being is, is that if we use the sum function and we sum the column, we're getting both the raw data and we're getting the subtotal data. Okay. Now the plus plus is fine if you've got like two numbers, as you could see here. Plus plus is not going to work though if you had a subtotal for current assets, a subtotal for fixed assets, a subtotal for investments, a subtotal for, um, I don't know, you, you know all the different balance sheet accounts here. But just imagine you've got 20 subtotals doing that plus plus. I mean, you end up with a lot of things here, and there's a good chance if you add a group or remove a group, you're going to forget to update your uh, total. And you could end up either double counting things or, you know, um, you know, you could also end up where, where you just can't get it to balance because you don't have the right selection of your totals. Uh, you're missing something. Or you've got too much added in there. OK, wouldn't it be great if you could total a whole column of data and tell it, you know what, ignore any of the other subtotals and only get the raw data present? Guess what? You can do that. You're going to use that using the subtotal function. If I sum this whole column using the normal sum and I end up summing this thing, this function is going to double count because it's counting all three of these plus this. The subtotal will specifically exclude any other subtotals in its calculation. So anywhere we use sum, if we use subtotal and we want to sum a whole column, it's going to ignore any other subtotals that are present and it'll only add up as we can see here just the raw data. So in this particular case, we've got a listing of our raw data and we've got a subtotal here for our current assets and we've got our fixed assets down here. Well, guess what? I could sum the whole column indiscriminately and it will exclude our subtotal for our current assets. It will only include the raw data present. And so generally, this is a much preferred way of, of doing your totaling because your odds of missing something are gone. I mean, you're not going to miss anything because you're going to sub the whole row. Okay. So let's go ahead and write this. I'll give you an example. We're going to do equal subtotal. And there are two arguments with respect to subtotal that we need to know. Okay. The first is going to be what function we want. And this runs one through 12. Okay. One is average, two is count, three is count uh, arithmetic, uh, min, max, product, standard deviation, so on and so forth. Okay. If you want to add things up, it's going to be function nine. Okay. I just know that because I do this all the time, but if I wanted just basically to sum this stuff for our operation for subtotal, we use nine as our option here. Okay. And when we select nine, it knows, Hey, Steve wants me to add these things up. The next is going to be the reference or the array of the data that we want. In this case, we're going to tell it to sum E4 to E6. Boom, done. We've got our subtotal. Okay. Now we go to the bottom here, total assets. We're going to do the same thing, equal subtotal function nine. I want them to add it all together. And instead of having to manually just pick those subtotals out, we can pick that whole column here and we just get that raw data added together. Okay. Now we're not limited just to doing a subtotal uh, with some, we can do subtotal where maybe we get, I don't know, maybe we get the count of the different items presented. Not a problem. We can go ahead and Again, pointed at this data listed here, and we end up with four. One, two, three, four. In this case, it's excluding those other two items presented. I could tell you that it's in your best interest. Use the subtotal whatever you possibly want. 
okay? And whenever you possibly can. Now, you also have another operation too. You can actually use 9 or 109 to add things up. What do I mean by this? Well, subtotal also has the additional benefit of excluding anything that is hidden. When you go to write your formula, if you instead put a one in front of the data, so instead of nine, it becomes 109. Instead of, 10, instead of two, it becomes 102. That basically tells Excel to ignore any hidden values. And so if I hide those particular values here, so let's go hide inventory, okay? Subtotal 109 is only gonna add up the visible cells present. Pretty nifty. Let me show you one more thing with respect to your subtotals where I think they could be really useful. Okay, if anybody liked this, again, there are sample files. Just Okay, give me one more second here. Okay, so some more sample files. And uh, let me show you something else that you could use. Here's a better example actually showing you that whole point of the uh, subtotal. Okay, utilizing this in the context of a big balance sheet. Instead of having to uh, individually pick the thing we want, we can just subtotal the whole column and it'll grab it. Let me show you something else you could do, which would be a running total. Okay, so over here we've got an example. Again, this is our payroll example. And... Uh, Okay, we've got to, maybe we want to conditionally know, um, you know, how much payroll we're paying for a particular department. Well, what's one really cool, both for the normal subtotal as well as the subtotal where we add 10 in front of it, the 109 example here, either one of them will also ignore filtered rows. So you can also use these as a way of kind of populating a table and then having a running total. So if I selected here in my table and I wanted to see a sum of my payroll by department, well, I could go ahead and I could select whatever filter options I want. So let's just say we see our office in the United States and it's in California and it is in the legal. Okay, my subtotal which is simply just looking in this case at our subtotal data table, the payroll column here. When you look at these numbers, these numbers are just what's getting added up. And so we can see here 53,349, 53,349 present. So subtotal makes doing running calculations a breeze. Now, let me show you one other thing you can do this. And uh, this is going to utilize another feature inside of Excel called slicers and timelines. Actually, I'm just going to show you slicers. I don't have time functions in here. But let me go ahead and clear my data. And if you remember when I was doing this, I was actually selecting these from these little drop-down menus. And I was selecting, in this case, the United States, or I was selecting Canada, or I was selecting uh, whatever. You know, I was coming over here and I was selecting the illegal department. Uh, for one reason or the other, some people, especially uh, 
well, I should say non-Excel folks, selecting these filtering options can be quite um, confusing, you know, and the idea that you could have filters that filter to other things can also be quite confusing as well. Now, one such thing that you can do is you can also choose to add a slicer. And a slicer is like an easy button for your either a table or a pivot table. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. And instead of having to drop down and select those specific things, we can add a slicer, which gives them a button to click. Okay. So imagine you're using Power Query, you're fetching your payroll data in real time from ADP, paychecks, QuickBooks, wherever, and you're populating and you want to give uh, the CEO, the president, uh, a little easy workbook that they can use to instantly check departmental payrolls or location payrolls. Okay. And uh, we can do this using Power Query to bring in the data from Power Query. We populate that data to a table and then we're going to give them a slicer that they can easily slice and dice the data. Okay. To add a slicer, you're going to come over here to the insert menu and right on the right side of this under your filters in the insert menu, you'll see slicers and timeline present. Okay. Two big caveat here is first and foremost, make sure your data is a table, 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 table. Okay. The second thing is make sure your active cell, when you're adding your slicer, it's inside the data. If we come over here to insert and we select slicer and we don't have our active cell inside of this can pop up. It's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about and it won't work. Move your active cell inside the table. Come on over here, select the slicer option, and then you can choose to add a slicer. Now, you don't want to pick something that's relatively uh, heterogeneous, meaning there's lots and lots of examples of it. Like the payroll would be a terrible option here because you're going to end up with, in this case, like a thousand plus different options as your slicers. You want to pick the stuff where they're descriptors, their dimensional analysis of those uh, fields. So in this case, something like country, state, and department would be great examples of slicers. So we're going to go ahead and add an extra column here. We're going to go ahead and, and increase the size of our, let's add another row. Okay. And let's add some slicers to our data to make this work well. I generally, for my slicers, I generally put them to the left and up at the top. Tables want to grow dynamically down and to the right. So just like pivot tables do. So anything I put over here or up top is going to be clean and safe. And so we're going to put our active cell inside of this table. We're going to come on over here to the insert menu. And from that insert menu, we're going to go ahead and select our slicer. And let's grab our department, state, and country. And we'll click OK. All right, I'm going to just go ahead and point out you get a special contextual or menu here for slicer. So you can see that slicer is an option that is present. And just like with our tables and pivot tables, we can come on over here and give it a name. Unfortunately, I will not have the opportunity to explore this much further, but if we get a second in our pivot table example here, I'll point out you can also hook slicers up to multiple reports inside of your workbook. So you can have a slicer on a table that also affects a pivot table too, uh, allowing that so when you set, select your filter options in one screen, they follow you throughout the workbook. Pretty cool. And just like tables, we can also adjust the style. So if we wanted to, and you know, maybe make this one green and we'll make the department uh, orange, that could be quite helpful too. Where I tend to use the colors a lot is with respect to uh, people. And then I'll say, I'll oh, make the green one do this or make the red one do that. Okay. So we're going to put our geo filters over here. Let's zoom out a little bit as well.
and we'll put our department one over here. One of the cool things you can do with slicers too is you can also make them multi-column. So I can come over here to my slicer and I could say, you know what, this one should have three columns or four columns listed. Okay, so now that we've got this set up, okay, I'm the CEO here and I wanna see what we spent in the United States in Texas for marketing. And it now slices and dices right down to that data. And with my subtotal function listed right here, I'm getting exactly that number. If I were to sum this column, see what was the name of this table? It was subtotal data. So if we were to sum this column, okay, and we just tell it our payroll column over here, that's always going to give me the full number. Okay, that's always going to give this to me. And that's not the number I want. I want just the running total of this particular calculation. And that's why that subtotal is so helpful uh, because otherwise it would just won't give you that data. I mean, there's no other way of getting it. Okay, so with our slicers, we can clear these. Okay, let's say we wanted to see uh, for our legal team in Canada and in on the Ontario region. Boom, got right to the data that I'm looking for. And this is simple. It's a very simple thing, but we're bringing together tables, we're bringing together slicers, and we're bringing together the subtotal function. Super, super, super useful. Let's go ahead and continue. So that is subtotal and sum. I bet you didn't think there was that much to talk about on that one feature, but sure enough, there is. This concludes today's presentation. As a reminder, if you're watching or listening to our show on YouTube, Facebook, or elsewhere, you can earn credits by going to cpetoday.com and passing a brief five-question quiz. If you're a new watcher or listener to our show and you'd like to earn a credit, you can do so for free by using coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout. You can make today's class or any other class of your choosing 100% free with this code. Please consider reaching out and connecting with us on social media. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook and more. Feel free to leave us a comment. Also, please consider subscribing to our show wherever you happen to receive your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you back at the office the next time around.